0: You may be seated. I want to make just a few comments about the text before we get into the theme for our sermon today, which has to do with God's coming, the Lord's coming. As I said earlier, the word Advent means coming, and it is the observance, really preparation, for the Lord's coming again in glory, and also for His coming at His first Advent, which is His birth in the manger. And oddly enough, the historic reading, gospel lesson, for the first Sunday in Advent is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Now that is the reading for Palm Sunday, and uh, so you may wonder, what is the reason for taking that reading from Lent, from Holy Week no less, and, and putting it at the very beginning of Advent? And I think the reason is this, yes, He came as a child in the manger, but He came as a child in in the manger in order to grow to be a man and to suffer and die for our sins. And so this is really why He came, He came for the sake of our deliverance. And so it's very appropriate when we consider His coming to us to remember why He came in the first place. Now, notice in the Gospel lesson, this is on the back of your worship bulletin, notice that Jesus commandeers a colt, all right? And uh, the response uh, is when someone asks, why are you untying that colt? The response is, well, the Lord has need of it. Now, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so, if our Lord commandeers the colt, It's only appropriate, it's his to begin with, and he's needing it, he's borrowing it now. And this is a cult on which no one has ever sat. And if you know anything at all, I know very little, but I know this, when it comes to royalty, what royalty use, you don't use, all right? And so something is fit for a king if it's not been used by anyone else, nor will be. And so that is the intention here, I think, that Luke wants to convey. This is royalty now. And we see that. We we see that elsewhere in the text, where Jesus is hailed as king, and he accepts it. Now, he wouldn't accept it before. When they wanted to come and take him to be king and make him king by force, he ran away. They have their own idea of what a king is. We'll say more about that in just a moment. But now he accepts the accolade of being a king. And notice in the Gospel lesson, Jesus, for the first time, is actually riding. Whenever we see him in the Gospels, he's on foot. He's walking. But here he's riding. And not only is he riding, but notice what he's not riding in. He's not in a chariot, okay? That would be an implement of war. He's rather, on a donkey. Now, what does that mean? Our only clue is the prophecy that Jesus is now fulfilling by riding on a donkey. It's from Zechariah 9, verse 9. And this is where the prophet writes, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming to you, humble, on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this conveys humility. And and I suppose it would be a little bit like Jesus coming into Jerusalem maybe in a Yugo uh, as opposed to a a Mercedes limo or something like that. It's a humble means of transportation then, okay? And and the the last point I'll make about the text before we get into our our message for today, Uh, notice they spread their cloaks on the road in front of him. This is a kingly thing to do. Um, Back in the Old Testament, when Jehu uh, was proclaimed king of Israel, the people took their coats, their cloaks, and spread them at his feet. It was a sign of submission to the king. So, he accepts this. Jesus accepts it for the first time, because he really is a king. But he's not the kind of king that people are expecting As you know, they're expecting a political king. They want a political deliverer. Jesus delivers from far more than that. He delivers from sin, death, and the devil. He provides us eternal salvation. Yes, we have it today. We own it now. But it is forever. And I wonder today if people aren't looking for the very same kind of deliverance, political, And when I read letters to the editor in the newspaper, when I see news stories about the tremendous political divide in our country, I ask myself, what are people really trusting in anyway? Do you know anything at all about the politics 2,000 years ago? Does anybody know anything about that? It's forgotten. It doesn't matter anymore. But what Jesus did 2,000 years ago still matters, and it matters mightily. Put your trust in the Lord, not in politics. Don't trust in something that will be rightly forgotten a hundred years, two hundred years from now. We bow our heads and pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, bless your word to our hearts this day and every day, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, let let me ask you this. Um, Have you ever been in conversation with someone? You're listening to them, but your mind is elsewhere. You're focusing on something else, and by the time they finish, you wonder, what did they just say? You ever been there? ever done that? (laughs) Or, or, have you ever been in a worship service, (laughs) and and uh, someone was reading the lessons, or you're listening to the sermon, and by the time it's through, you wonder, what did he just say? You know, you were thinking about the Colts game, or you were thinking about all that you have to do at work this week, or, or what's being demanded of you in your classes at school. Has that ever happened to you? You know, it's happened to me more than I would like to admit. And in those moments, you may be physically present, but you might as well be somewhere else, because mentally, intellectually, and emotionally, you've checked out. And if I'm pouring out my heart, you know, let's flip it now. If I'm doing the one, or if, if, if I'm the one doing the talking, I'm pouring out my heart to somebody. And, and they're checking their phone, or they're, they're doing something else cleaning off their desk while I'm talking to them and telling them what, you know, I'm just being really vulnerable and bleeding all over them and, and all this, and they're not paying attention. Not only am I a little angry, but even worse, I'm alone. I'm alone in that moment. You know, God created us for one another. He is eternal relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He's created us for relationship with Himself and with one another. And that's why He calls us into the body of Christ, the church. And so, point number one in your outline, on the back of your bulletin, the greatest gift you can give another is yourself, it's you. I cite John 15 there, greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. There's a lot of ways you can lay down your life. There's a lot of ways you give up yourself in order to be present with someone else. When you give your time to them, when you give your attention, your listening ear, when you give comforting words to them, you're giving yourself to that individual. The greatest thing you can do for them. You can't change their circumstances. Whatever they're going through, you can't affect that, really. But you can be present, you see. And that's huge. That is huge because that is what we need regardless of what the world is doing to us or what we've done to ourselves. Point A, we long for the presence of others. We need the presence. Of others in our lives. This is true of our Lord Jesus as well. You know, this is the way God made us. This is how we're wired. Could you not keep watch with me for one hour when he's praying in Gethsemane? Could you not do that? His closest disciples, the inner circle, were just a few yards away napping. Jesus needed support I cite 2 Timothy there, and this is so poignant when you read, uh, this is uh, toward the end of Paul's epistles, toward the end of his life, and and, uh, he, he writes these words to Timothy. Listen to this. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, who has loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Do your best to come before winter." My friends, that's how important the presence of others is. That's how important your presence is in the lives of those around you. The greatest thing you can do for anyone is to be present and available for them. Listening. Encouraging. Focusing. Point B. We long for the presence of the Lord. We long for the presence of the Lord. And never is that felt more strongly than when his presence is withdrawn. And I, I don't cite Exodus 33 here, but, 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 I, but I will. Okay? Um, this is after the worship of the golden calf, and, and God's a little stained. You know? uh, he's delivered them out of Egypt, and this is how they show their gratitude. Uh, they just go back in their minds, in their worship minds, they go back to Egypt. They're worshiping an animal now alright? And so this is what God says. God says, I will not go up with you. You will go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. And Moses just hit the deck, you know. He says, Lord, he said, if you don't go up with us, how will we ever make it there? How will we survive? You must come. And so God graciously responds, because you've asked, I will go up with you. That's How much we need the presence of the Lord, and we don't realize it until He threatens to pull it back. I cite Isaiah 64 there, where the plea of the prophet is Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that you would separate, that you would eliminate the separation, the distance between us, and be present here now. We need you now. I can't help but to think of what happened when our Lord was born. The heavens opened and the angels sang. When our Lord was baptized, the heavens opened. The Father spoke, the Spirit descended upon the second person of the Trinity standing in the Jordan River. You see, wherever Jesus is, heaven opens. That's why our architecture here has a roof that's opening to heaven, because we gather around the risen Lord in the Holy Sacrament, heaven opens, and we participate in the life of heaven. There is no distance anymore. Wherever Jesus is, the God of the Bible does not confine himself to heaven. He makes himself available to humanity. He comes to us. He comes. He shows up. Woody Allen famously said, 80% of success in life is simply showing up. That's how important presence is. No matter what else is said or done, just being there means a lot. It's huge. And that's true of the Lord. Roman numeral two, throughout scripture, the Lord is the one who comes. Point A, sin separates us from the Lord. It always has. Genesis three, what do Adam and Eve do And the Lord comes once again walking in the garden, they flee. They create distance between themselves and the Lord, okay? And I like the way Isaiah puts it in chapter 59. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save you, nor is his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. See, he's withdrawing his presence to the accumulation of sin. But point B, see, our, our sins will not keep the Lord away. They will not keep him away. Point B, the Lord seeks and saves sinners. He seeks and saves sinners like you and me. When Adam sinned, God came to him in the garden. When the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. God came to Moses in the burning bush. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, God came to them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead them and to protect them. See, this was the promise of God throughout the Old Testament, that the Lord will come for you. He will be present. And that's why the prophet Zechariah wrote, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. See, your king comes. He comes to you, humble, on a donkey. And that's why throughout the Gospels we hear Jesus saying things like this The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. John the Baptist asked him, Are you the one who was to come? or shall we look for another? Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said, I have come not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Jesus said, The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve, and to give us life as a ransom for many. And he said, For judgment I have come into this world that the blind will see and those who think they see will become blind. Point C. The presence of the Lord departed from Jerusalem before it was destroyed in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. The presence of the Lord departed. You can read about that. It's... It's interesting reading in Ezekiel 10 and 11. And what the president this, this glory, this glory cloud, departs the temple and, and it just in stages. It leaves the temple precincts, then it leaves the city of Jerusalem. And, and this is foretelling the destruction of the city because once the Lord withdraws his presence, you see. There's no more deliverance for the people. And so gradually, this presence of the Lord departs. Why? Because of the sins of the people. And and you have to understand this about sin. Sin in the Bible is pollution, and the sins accumulate. They build up. And because the priests were participating in the sins of the people the pollution was building up in the temple to the point where God said, I'm out, I'm gone. And so the glory, the presence of the Lord departs gradually from the city and it it crosses the Kidron Valley and goes up the Mount of Olives. And that's where Ezekiel's vision concludes. Where it went after that, we don't know. But what's interesting is we see Jesus today, the presence of the Lord in the flesh, not in a cloud, which is unapproachable, but in the flesh, which is near us. He approaches the city from the Mount of Olives down the Kidron Valley into the temple. That's what follows our Gospel reading for today. He cleanses the temple. He throws out the people buying and selling in the outer court. You see, the glory of the Lord returns today. Returns to the people of God. Returns in the person, in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Now later in the New Testament, the Lord came to Paul on the Damascus Road. Turned him around. Later in the New Testament, the Lord came to John the Apostle on the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation. And my friends, the Lord comes to us today. He comes to us with His saving presence, with His comforting presence. That leads us to point number three in your outline. The God of the Bible does not confine Himself to heaven. He's not confined to heaven. He still comes, point A, invisibly. He comes invisibly in word and sacrament. I cite Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, cleansing her. That's baptism. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. See, Jesus does that. He does that in baptism. I'm not doing it. I'm applying the water. I'm saying the words, but they are his words. And he's the only one who can wash away sin, not me. See, he's doing that. He comes, and He does that for us in baptism. And then I cite 1 Corinthians 10, which speaks of the Lord's Supper, where St. Paul asks this question, and it expects a positive answer. Is not the cup cup of blessing that we bless the communion of the blood of Christ? You see, he's saying, is it not true that the very blood of the Lord is in communion with the cup, the contents of the cup? Is not the bread we break the communion of the body of Christ. That flesh and blood that entered Jerusalem 2,000 years ago enters our midst by the power of his word every Lord's day in a saving way, in a delivering way. And this is why we say, and the title of this sermon, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that's taken from Lutheran service book. It's taken from our service of the sacrament, from the Sanctus, which we sing, The words which the people of Jerusalem sang, it's a quote from Psalm 118, the words they sang when Jesus entered Jerusalem are the very same words we sing every Lord's Day in celebration of the sacrament. Why? Because he comes to us in a forgiving, merciful way, just as he did 2,000 years ago. It's an amazing thing. Jesus said, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is the salvation of the Lord. He comes invisibly to us today in word and sacrament. And point B, he comes visibly at any moment. He comes visibly at any moment. He's not distant. His return is imminent. That means at any moment. He's right at the door. And, and I, I laugh at liberal commentators uh, who like to criticize the early Christians because uh, they accused them of believing that Jesus was gonna come back in their lifetime, and they were wrong about that, according to the liberal critics. What the first Christians actually believed was that Jesus was returning at any moment, as he said he would. No one knows the day or hour. It may be many days and many hours in the future. We don't know, but it's at any moment. It's exactly what we believe. And if you don't believe that he's returning at any moment, then you will be caught napping at his return. And you don't want that to be said of you. His return is imminent. It could be the next second. Everything's fulfilled. What's the delay? Scripture explains God desires all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That includes you and me and our loved ones. The Lord is merciful. My friends, our God, the God of Holy Scripture is unique. He does not confine himself to the precincts of heaven. He, you know, he could just leave us in our sin and let the sins accumulate down here, let the pollution build up. He could do that. He's in heaven. He's fine. But God loves you. He loves me. Therefore, he does not limit himself to heaven. He wants to dwell with us. And that's what eternity is, by the way. It is living in the visible presence of God. We will see his face, according to Revelation 21. We will see his face. He will dwell among us visibly. And that's why sin must be dealt with. That's why the pollution must be taken away for God to come and to dwell upon the earth once again. Sin must be dealt with if we are to experience the presence of God and if we are to have a relationship with Him and that's why Jesus comes. That's what He comes to do. He does not leave us in our pollution. He comes. He shows up. He comes to us. He removes our sin and He creates a proper environment for God to dwell with us and in us. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.